When you hear someone is in the ICU or critical care unit, we know that person is very sick and requires greater care than in a regular hospital room. Certainly COVID has made many more people aware of how those rooms are limited in their sheer number and how quickly they become occupied. In this edition of Health Styles, the podcast, we're talking with someone who knows firsthand what it's like in the CCU. Dr. Jeremy Topin is a critical care physician and pulmonologist at Sarah Bush Lincoln, and he's here to share some insight on critical care, how it's evolved, and what the future of a CCU looks like. We'll be right back after this. We are your friends and neighbors, the person who sits three pews away from you at church, the person who roots for the home team along with you, and the person next to you in the checkout lane. For more than 50 years, Lincoln Land Home Care and Hospice of Sarah Bush Lincoln has been here for you, providing compassionate care, just like trusted friends and family. Call us at 800-879-3212 for all your home care needs. Thank you for joining us for Health Styles, the podcast. I'm your host, Lori Banks. I'm here with Dr. Jeremy Topin, who is a pulmonologist and critical care physician here at Sarah Bush Lincoln. And today we're talking about critical care. Dr. Topin, for those unfamiliar with the ICU or CCU, can you explain what it is and what types of conditions would warrant a person being admitted to a CCU? Um, well, thanks, Lori, for that question, and thanks for, for the opportunity to be here. Um, you know, the ICU or CCU critical care unit or cardiac intensive unit or surgical intensive care unit, there's lots of different names, and some of them are blended and kind of do all of them. Our unit kind of sees all the critically ill patients. But the type of patients we see are those that, first and foremost, need a, they're a higher level of acuity uh, a little more instability and need more closer monitoring than what can be done on the regular floor. And that involves a couple of things. It, it involves a, a lower nursing to patient ratio. So instead of a standard one nurse for every four or five patients, we have one nurse for every one or two patients so that they can be checked in on intended to, whether it be checking vitals, administering medication, or titrating different therapies, um, that that better ratio, that lower ratio uh, allows. But also these patients in general need vitals being monitored more minute to minute than every six to eight hours. Um, they are dynamic and changing in their physiology, uh, whether it's uh, they have high blood pressure that needs controlling or low blood pressure that needs treating, um, or the pace of their illness is escalating, or uh, we're unclear what the diagnosis is, and they need more rapid diagnostics or testings or interventions. And so we get a lot. I mean, I, I was sort of generic there in describing things, but often these will be patients who require a lot of oxygen or ventilators because uh, they're struggling with breathing or they have very low blood pressure from infections or heart issues that require medicines to help support their blood pressure. Um, those would be kind of the most common patients we see along with a lot of patients after surgery. If it's been a long you know, complex surgery or they have a lot of what we call comorbidities or a lot of other medical problems, we want to watch them a little bit closer in that 24-hour period after surgery, and the ICU is a good place to do that. 
And certainly with COVID, we have had a lot more people in CCU. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been here uh, just a little over a year. October uh, 3rd was my one-year anniversary. So it, I've only been here during COVID. So I, I you know, I hear historically uh, what our volume and our patient load has been. We have a nine-bed CCU. Um, I know it's been busy before, but it absolutely has been busy since being here. We've we've been averaging close to that number, and and unfortunately, on some rare occasions, we've exceeded that number by having to create ICU beds off the floor. Um, but COVID has definitely uh, challenged us, as it has uh, almost every hospital uh, in the in this area and in the country, um, and the health system in general. Um, I do think. Um, at the same time I got here along with COVID, the total staff, and that includes the nursing staff, the respiratory therapists, pharmacists, uh, techs, um, everyone has had to get used to uh, a higher level of illness, a higher level of acuity, and they've done great kind of doing this on the fly. And I think it showed even more what we can do for this community. And I think it really factored in quite a bit to the decision to the hospital to commit to building out and expanding our critical care services. So been excited to, to be part of that change. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But I wanted to ask you um, if you could explain how the CCU room is laid out and how it's different than from a regular hospital room. Yeah, In general, an ICU room should feel all that different just if you were to look at a room without a patient in it from a regular room, in theory, it should be open. Uh, there should be a lot of natural light from a window outside. It should have space for a family member to be able to be there to support and advocate for for the patient. Um, so it, you know, an empty room wouldn't look that different. I think a, a, a critically ill patient in the room it looks very different, yeah, and that. Yeah, they're, you know, acutely, especially when patients get transferred in or if they're very unstable, there often can be several team members in the room, whether it's the bedside nurse, a physician or a consultant, a respiratory therapist. Because of the different interventions we do, they're especially medicines that require pumps because uh, they need to be titrated. Um, there often be lots of IV poles and IV machines that tend to beep, especially if uh, you know the the um, the bag of medicine or antibiotics is about to be done. Um, there is a ventilator often or different devices that help deliver more oxygen that normally a nasal cannula off the wall couldn't do. Um, in other units, there's other procedures such as dialysis or plasmapheresis or other procedures that involve a, some sort of bulky machine uh, that um, takes up some space and can make some noise and can be really intimidating if you don't know what it's for and, and you don't see it. So um, it tends to be a little more crowded, a little more compact, um, a little bit louder, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, these rooms are, are you know, supposed to be designed to accommodate and handle and still allow a support member from the family and still allow good workflow from the team so they're not all congested and bottled up and, and can't kind of move around in the room freely. I've been in a CCU room as a family member, and you're right. 
The one thing I really remember is it was very loud. There's lots of beeping and equipment, and the medical staff are going in and out of the room on a regular basis doing their jobs. So one of the things that you do as a critical care physician is to make it so people don't have to be transferred out to another hospital. Can you talk about the benefit that this has to the patient to remain in the CCU as opposed to being transferred? And for us, where we're located here, that could mean a 50 or 60 mile or even more trip to another hospital. Yeah, I think, you know, look, when someone's critically ill, it it's a very stressful time for the patient, for the family, and don't need sort of anything else to add to that level of stress. And so obviously, if everything is locally here, that can be done to care for the patient appropriately, that's a that's a good thing because transfers inherently are stressful. They often uh, involve um, a potential small but potential risk during that transport. As you mentioned, uh, hopefully the transport is nearby uh, where it may only be an hour by ambulance or a little bit less by air, but sometimes they can be longer depending upon if they're going to a tertiary care center. Um, Again, I it, it's sort of an interesting situation with COVID where, you know, in the past I have advocated strongly that if possible, family members or a support member should be available as much as possible to help support patients when they're critically ill. They, they need that advocacy. They often are confused. They often can't advocate for themselves due to their critical illness. And yet during COVID, we've had very restricted and limited and, and sometimes even you know, support people have not been able to be present in the room. But in a perfect world, you know, that someone should be able to be at the bedside. And often that transport may mean it's more difficult for those support members or family members to be able to be present and available and advocate for their loved ones. And so that's that's not a small issue. Um, there's been studies even recently talking about patient and family satisfaction once a patient transfers. And usually it's less just because it's, it's a stressful change. Uh, there's new faces, new ways of doing things, a new environment. There's often a catch-up period of about 24 hours while the new team is kind of getting caught up to speed, re-verifying or verifying what they've been told. So there, there often can be a little bit of a delay. Um, so I, I don't mean to make it sound that a transfer is bad. Uh, there's lots of very appropriate and good reasons for it, including second opinions. And sometimes that pause is, is very appropriate. But I think it, in general, all things being equal, it is an added stressor that if it doesn't need to happen, I think it benefits the patient and the families to stay in a place that they're comfortable, more geographically closer to a team that they've already developed trust and rapport with to just continue to build on that and have to reestablish that at another location. Since you've come on board, I know you probably don't have an exact number, but I imagine you've been able to keep a lot more people here. Yeah, I, I don't have that data either. And COVID has sort of thrown a lot of things uh, into sort of a, sort of a new playing field. Absolutely, we've kept more patients here. It's been a learning process. You know, um, early on, um, there were some patients that we kept that maybe we should have transferred. And there were some that we transferred that in hindsight we could have kept. And so we've been sort of recalibrating and iterating that process. Um, 
In some ways, COVID prevented us from being able to transfer patients. For a while, there were no beds in a 300-mile radius, and we were struggling you know, to be able to transfer patients. Currently, we don't offer dialysis, so that's, a, that's definitely a very absolute indication uh, for us to transfer patients right now. And uh, we, we, in the past uh, few months, had had some challenges with that. But you know, we're, we're learning um, what we can do and gaining that trust and confidence in ourselves. Cause it's not just me, it's the whole staff. It's the nursing staff, um, the respiratory, uh, staff, um, the consultants as well. And so we're, we're building, um, that, that confidence and that trust. Cause I'm not here 24 seven, but we're also, really? well, not here, not but, here. but we're building a program that can support. And so even in my absence, we do have support in place. We have an electronic ICU that is available 24-7. We have critical care physicians off-site hooked electronically that can go in the room with a camera and see the patients, converse in real time with the patient, the family, or the nurses and other physicians. Um, they have the ability to look at the x-rays, the images, and so forth. And so they're available at off hours or if I'm not available. And we're building a program to provide physical critical care physicians here around the clock. So building that up for weekends and for the parts of the week that I'm not here. And it's a process. Um, so we we have a couple of physicians and a, and a growing number to be able to provide that coverage on the weekends. And that's just going to continue to grow. And so really excited about what's happening here. And speaking of growth, Sarah Bush Lincoln over the next few years is going to be expanding their CCU from nine to 14 beds. In addition to more beds, I understand that other things will be changing as well. Yeah, I am so excited about what is going on here at Sarah Bush. It was something that when I first came here, I I advocated for and tried to express the need at least to change the physical environment we are currently in. Um, but um, administration uh, took that and, and expanded on it uh, tenfold. And, you know, I think Right. We, we are expanding from nine to 14 beds, but it's way more than that. I think, for unfortunately, for those that, that are familiar with our CCU, um, you know, we have such a beautiful campus here and beautiful facilities that have been either updated or added upon. But the CCU is still the original CCU from, I think, the 70s when the hospital was first built. And there's been a lot of architectural and conceptual changes that have gone on to providing care for the critically ill. And currently the CCU, our CCU is physically small. It is structured really not appropriately for modern workflow um, in terms of computers and electronic medical record and a physical space for people to sit down, chart, discuss. The rooms themselves um, were not designed for the concept of having a dialysis machine, a ventilator, as well as to accommodate a support person. And I think that's one of the biggest changes over the years where, you know, we we really kind of siloed sick patients and, and family was just sort of an afterthought, whereas we now understand how important it is for that support member and how important a healing environment and and a and a the environment is to the healing process. And so what we've had is the CCU, which I think, you know, I'm biased, but it's one of the most challenging places to work. And we've put the team in the most challenging physical environment to deliver that care. So not only have they increased 
the number of rooms, but really increase the footprint and the space to build those rooms and really rethink about how we deliver that critical care. And that's what I'm really excited about is both from a patient and family advocate standpoint, really being able to support a family member with a couch or a bed or a, a, a place for them to do their own work on a computer or a laptop in a room while they can help support the family member with lots of outside light or natural light, but also allowing the process of the care to be delivered to be done so in a more efficient manner. And that runs from the people doing the x-rays and lab draws in the morning to the nurses doing their vitals and charting and medication delivery to pharmacy being able to come up and, and provide the medications in a timely and efficient fashion. I mean, it's a, it's a well-coordinated sort of orchestra that has to happen. And you, you just, want the environment to help facilitate that as opposed to be another friction point. And it's been a big friction point for now that I think we're going to really enjoy uh, the benefits of this when this is finally done. So it sounds like you won't have staff running into each other and you'll just have more room to work. Our CCU right now is just a congested place from not enough place to store stuff to have things in sort of that right time, right place moment, as opposed to have to go in some storage thing down the hall or in the basement, um, to literally just the workflow of everyone gets interrupted when there's not enough computers to chart or document. Or, um, you know, there's just day to day, we, we've created so many workarounds, we don't even appreciate how many we have done to adjust to our environment that we just don't need to. And, and the hospital and administration fully recognize that. And, and so, you know, they were going to revamp the space to better improve workflow. But when they saw how busy we are and the growth and the need for the community, they were able to do a needs assessment that really justified as well, the increased number of beds. And we were lucky enough to have both the space and the need um, to be able to put together these plans that I think are going to really serve both the community well and in a much better and broader way, but also help those of us that are delivering that care to the patients in, in a better way. The new beds, they'll be done in a completely new space, not in the existing area, right? Correct. It's always challenging if you are using the same physical space as part of the new physical space. But actually, the plans as they are now uh, really involve uh, expanding out into part of the parking lot and, and using new space um, while then retrofitting the old space for um, other types of beds. And so this is going to be uh, a complete expansion. Um, so there's going to be an expansion of the critical care unit, as well as an expansion of a step-down unit as well, because we envision both as we are going to be keeping more patients and expanding services that allow us, because we will have a better handle on how to care for these critically ill patients, we can provide more services that we weren't. And these patients, though, as they are in the ICU, instead of strictly going to the floor, they may need a 
an intermediate zone to kind of transition. And so we're increasing our step-down unit as well. And that's going to be right next door versus our step-down unit right now is on a different floor a little bit further away. So again, that workflow, not having to move patients far, being able to convert the room that they're in and not even have to move the room, but convert it to a step-down bed. Again, more stability for the patient. So we're going to just have a lot more flexibility, um, both in terms of how we manage the space, but in in terms of uh, the types of patients that we can care for. This sounds like a great project and a wonderful service to our community. It is. I mean, you know, there's nothing more frustrating when when we have a patient on the right path, um, doing doing well, but then they hit a roadblock of something that we don't offer here. Um, and that might be right now dialysis, for example. You know, um, I envision both by having this new unit and the expansion of critical care services, this is going to only help recruit uh, a nephrologist that cares for inpatients. We do have a nephrologist currently in the outpatient uh, area, and that's fantastic. Um, and we're hoping to expand so that we can have that coverage on the inpatient side. But it's very frustrating for a patient who comes into the ER. We either don't have beds currently or there, we anticipate potentially there may be trouble down the road and we end up transferring them when, if we have the expansion of both rooms and capability, keeping that patient here, it's a much more seamless process for that patient to get care instead of it being stalled in the emergency room for hours while waiting to transfer to another institution. So. Um, I think it's gonna be great, but what I'm most excited about is 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 hopefully as well as COVID gets a little bit, a little bit quieter, and our visiting policies become a little more liberal, the role the families are going to be able to play and to be able to help support a family member being present to me that's just so important as part of the healing process and the advocacy that these patients need. Um, you know, I welcome. 24-7 family coverage. We are doing multidisciplinary rounds where we go from bed to bed to bed as a team every morning. And I look forward to inviting the family member to be part of that multidisciplinary round, to hear the plan of the day for the patient, to ask their questions with all the whole care team involved. The family speaking for the patient is part of that team. And we don't want to just, oh, they're here, let's talk to them. We want to invite them into that process. And having the physical space, the environment to support that family member um, is, is crucial to doing that. I think we will all look forward to that day. Dr. Topin, thanks so much for visiting with us. And we look forward to having you on the podcast again. Thank you very much, Laurie. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already a subscriber, please do so. That way you'll know when new podcasts are available. To learn more about Sarah Bush Lincoln and Dr. Topin and our new CCU, please visit our website at sarahbush.org.